You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. This is episode 28 for 2018 and my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and just to throw in the date as well, it's August the 26th. Well, politics, eh? It's been a big week in politics and uh, we've just had the new ministry announced for the um, Morrison government, as I guess we should call it. And joining me to try and make sense of all this is, as usual, David Leach, ITK analyst. David, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Charles. Of course, politics is very interesting, unavoidable. It's not the only thing that happened this week. And I'd like to welcome all our guests and also our special guest today. Yes, look, it's a welcome return to John Grimes, the Chief Executive of the Smart Energy Council. John, thank you very much for coming. Hey, my pleasure, Charles. What an interesting week. My God, what an interesting week. So look, um, as we forecast um, last week and discussed, David asked me, did I think that Malcolm Turnbull would get to present the National Energy Guarantee? And I said, I didn't think so. And um, gosh, kudos for us. I think we were right, but maybe not in the way that we wanted to be. Um, so Peter Dutton, as we flagged indeed on this podcast two weeks ago, did make a push. Um, I guess people have uh, already seen what's happened. There's no point going over that. But today, what we do have is a new Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and we have a new Energy and Environment Minister. The coalition experiment with combining these two portfolios has come to an end, um, which is a bit of a pity because I was rather hoping that they'd um, um, adopt the French name for combining those portfolios and call it the Ministry for um, Ecological Transition. But um, clearly Craig and Tones and everyone else didn't actually bite that one. So we have two different portfolios now. We have... Angus Taylor as the Minister for Energy. Um, he is the Minister, he is the Member for Hume. People will, may have um, come across him in his um, travels. He is most notable for being quite a vigorous campaigner against renewable energy and particularly wind energy in particular. And we have Minister Price, who's the Minister for the Environment, and Minister Price is a former lawyer for the mining industry. David, what do you make of it all? Well, the first thing I'd like to say, I'd like to say several things. The first thing is just on the list of, the first thing I'd like to say is it's no point going over the past. In investment banking, we look forward. And I think all of our listeners are not interested in what has happened. They are interested in what is going to happen because that affects their future decisions, including electricity prices and climate change. That's point one. Point two, there's no law because you're a lawyer for the mining industry that says you can't be this or that thing. There is a mining industry. We all use things that are made from mining, and I fully support the mining industry when it's done in a sustainable way. And I've read some of Melissa Price's speeches, and they're not that bad, is what I would just say, the speeches I've actually seen of hers in Parliament. Angus Taylor is another matter. Looking forward, my expectation is that essentially the government has in fact moved further to the right. It hasn't, we all felt relieved, I think, because it didn't move as far right as it would have under Dutton, but it's moved to the right nevertheless. It seems clear from today's announcements and Scott Morrison's speech that climate change uh, is, is not going to feature at all. And there is little, or it seems to me, little prospect of the government making any serious attempt to do anything about our COP21 and it will just pretend that we don't actually have that obligation, that international legal obligation. 
until we get to the next election. What does that mean for investment and for electricity prices? I think it means very little in the short term. We were going to get a small amount of investment under the NEG. Everyone modelled, say, up to about one gigawatt. I expect that will now have to be driven uh, entirely out of the market. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that that's good for price. I think that the best way for lowering electricity prices has always been to get more new supply into the market. I'll stop there. Good one, John. Um, over to you. Um, it was interesting to note that uh, Scott Morrison was describing um, Angus Taylor not so much as the Minister for Energy, but the Minister for Lower Prices. Uh, I think it was really interesting. I think uh, there was uh, a prospect, you know, that glimmer of hope uh, when uh, the Prime Minister, um, uh, Scott Morrison, stood up to announce his Cabinet today that he could have really made a move to reset this issue inside the Coalition. Uh, he talked about a new generation coming to power inside the coalition uh, and about a new approach. And I think that if he'd, if he'd really done that, I think that there was some prospect that they could start to cauterise this issue, which has been and continues to be political kryptonite inside the coalition party room. Uh, however, with the appointments that were made, with uh, uh, Peter Dutton back in the, in the cabinet with a new job for Barnaby Joyce and an olive branch for Tony Abbott, uh, and Angus Taylor stepping into that um, uh, um, um, uh, vacancy left by Minister Frydenberg, um, stepping up to uh, you know to Treasurer, uh, really cements in stone I think their intention and their pathway forward. So Angus Taylor uh, has been arguing now for the, the last couple of weeks that the government should not be talking about emissions, that it should be talking about price reduction. Uh, and increased dispatchability and reliability, which is really, we all know, code for more coal-fired generation, uh, more fossil fuels in the, in the mix. So to see that, that line really um, actually being taken up with the appointment of um, uh, Angus Taylor is, uh, is you know, really, really disheartening. Um, I, I, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it's probably the worst possible move that could have been made on behalf of the renewables industry, uh, and I think doesn't bode well for the you know for the next chapter that's about to unfold. John, can I just ask you then? Um, the Smart Energy Council was one of those that campaigned quite heavily against the NEG, um, specifically because it wasn't making a proper inroad on emissions. Where do you see policy landing now? I mean, do you think it's a bit of a no-hope with the coalition government? Um, are we just going to await for a Labor government? Or do we have to just get past the election and maybe, you know, if Morrison does get re-elected, maybe he can reset? Well, um, Morrison's now been asked at two press conferences as Prime Minister-elect and now as Prime Minister announcing his cabinet what his intention is, what is the policy framework for... Uh, energy policy moving forward for the National Energy Guarantee for renewable policy. Uh, and you've got to remember that uh, Scott Morrison was the architect of the intervention of the ACCC. He's the person who commissioned Rod Sims at the ACCC to write a report uh, um, about, uh, about competition issues uh, in, in, in the electricity market. That report came out quite unhelpfully in my view in the middle of a major policy reset around the National Energy Guarantee. So it definitely was a confusing and confused process coming in at the last minute with, with a lot of uh, unknown implications. Now, well, that the, now that the NEG is dead, however, 
uh, uh, Prime Minister Morrison has now said on two occasions that he intends to make those ACCC recommendations the policy blueprint for the way that he thinks about and crafts energy policy. And so you've got to remember that those ACCC recommendations were uh, all about bringing in new generation, but uh, you know, in code, read, open brackets, new coal-fired generation, close brackets, uh, and also uh, recommends the immediate or phased um, uh, abolition of the SRES. So both of those have really massive implications for large-scale renewables and for small-scale renewables. So I would say that, uh, that the game is well and truly still on. Uh, there is no prospect of a major reset. Um, the, the rules and the approach through that ACCC report are clearly understood, and we should now be focusing on that to, to get a sense of where the government's going on this. Hey, David, just, just before... Yes, and, and, and the question is whether the government can actually uh, do any of those things uh, effectively prior to the next election. Uh, for instance, it would be... Uh, easy enough in the time frame to cut the SRES survey uh, uh, I'm going to have to in, I'm going to have to interrupt here and say that the SRES is the renewable thing for the small scale solar. There you go, because we promised about acronyms last week, David. <laughs> Thank you very much, Giles, and I appreciate that. But I doubt myself uh, that the, uh, the go <coughs> government could do anything more than announce a policy that if it was to win the next election, it would one it would run one of these tenders, or perhaps even more explicitly, it would run a tender for a government-funded coal station. Uh, I don't want to get carried away with fear. We've yet to actually see the policy. We've yet to actually see what the Labor, opposite, Labor Party's response will be and whether it will choose to run on the environment, which is a traditional Labor Party strength. Uh, it, the fact remains that we do have a COP21 uh, le international legal obligation and I think it's open to any political party to question the government as to what they're doing about that legal obligation uh, and, and so at, at, at worst I can see an announcement about a federal government policy for a new coal-fired power station I could not see it being enacted or actually tenders run prior to the next election. That's, that's an interesting perspective. Um, David, I just want to get your perspective about the role of the ACCC here, because it's interesting. Rod Sims seems to be emerging as some sort of energy czar here. He's been given an enormous amount of powers, as John mentioned, um, by Morrison. It's really interesting to note that Angus Taylor also did his Masters of Philosophy, and his thesis was on competition. Um, his particular thesis was about breweries and pubs in the UK, but um, he did work with Rod Sims at Pork Jackson Partners. Work with Rod Sims at Pork Jackson Partners. Um, this is... Well, it is, and no one would underestimate uh, Angus Taylor's intellectual abilities. I think he has a university medal uh, in economics. Uh, but, you know, I, one of my best friends uh, has a university uh, medal in economics and finance, and he still wasn't always right. You could argue with him for hours and never win the argument, but it didn't make him right all the time. And uh, there's a huge, I mean, I, don't, I think we're so far past the point of arguing about climate change. And we're also so far past the point of arguing about whether renewals are, are competitive. They just are. And um, if you look at the price, if you want to talk price, if we forget about all the second order effects about dispatchability, and they do have to be considered, but if we just put them to one side, the basic law of supply and demand is that more supply makes the price go down. 
and uh, encouraging renewables makes price go down. That, in the end, was where the Warburton Review found out to its cost. When it commissioned the economic reports, it found that all the consulting firms found that more supply makes the price go down. How could they find anything else? And that's why a policy that gets new supply in is going to be helpful. Uh, uh, what we saw in some other reports we're going to come on to, which is the uh, AEMO's uh, statement of opportunities, was that they, um, as you mentioned somewhere, I think, Giles, during the week, showed that the, they have um, taken a harsher view of the reliability of the existing thermal generation. And why wouldn't you? Effectively doubling uh, the risk associated with thermal outages. Uh, and uh, that risk is only going to go up. And the way to counter it is to have more supply. David, uh, John here. I certainly agree with your, your thesis around you know, the length of time it's going to take to bring new coal assets online, not just a tendering process, but an actual construction process that's really you know, measured uh, in multiple of the years, maybe even a decade. Uh, but I would say that there is really significant scope to impact confidence and prices and the, the, the value of subsidies for rooftop solar PV around the country. In fact, that's already starting to happen. With the ACCC recommendation, with the wind-up of the small-scale renewable energy scheme, the scheme that supports rooftop solar, the price in the last, three, last week has, has dropped uh, more than $3. So we're talking about um, a, a 10 or 15% you know, price impact immediately. Uh, it would only take a Morrison government to announce a review of that scheme, uh, and then I think you'd see pressures with, uh, with new schemes in both Victoria and New South Wales, with new certificates being created, that the price could, could really collapse very quickly. So um, I, I think there are real issues at play right now, timely issues, uh, and, uh, and I think we should, you know, I think they are germane to the market today. The other thing that I'd, I'd note, Giles, uh, you, you might recall, the first time I came across Rod Sims is when he was the New South Wales IPART Commissioner, the Pricing Commissioner, Pricing I do remember, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and that was in 2011, and that was at a time when the Barry O'Farrell government were looking to retrospectively tear up the premium fee-dipping tariff contracts that it had with hundreds of thousands of families across New South Wales. Now, at that time, IPART's view was uh, the value of rooftop solar is, is limited to uh, you know, the wholesale value of electricity at that time, that no other considerations should be taken into account. So I think that uh, certainly IPART at that time, under Rod Sims' leadership, had a very strong line, uh, really not a, not a very uh, rooftop solar PV friendly line. Uh, and when he was kicked up to, be, uh, to, you know, uh, to lead the ACCC, um, you know, I was not entirely surprised to see a, a report coming out of uh, an ACCC under his leadership that had a recommendation like this in it. So, um, you know, if you stick mm. around for long enough, you, you can put the dots together. Absolutely. And um, it was interesting. We did ask the ACCC about whether he had rooftop solar himself. And um, we were told that, um, no, not yet, but he might go out and get it before the subsidies disappear, which was interesting. Hey, David, I just want to get your opinion about Snowy 2.0 and where that sort of fits now with an election coming up and then sort of investment opportunities. One of the other interesting things about Angus Taylor is that his maternal god um, grandfather, sorry, um, was actually the chief engineer for the original Snowy Hydro, and um, he speaks quite warmly about this idea of Snowy 2.0. So the departure of Malcolm Turnbull may not be curtains politically for Snowy 2.0, but geez, it's got a few hurdles to go before it gets um, investment clear ahead, doesn't it? 
Oh, no, I, I think Snowy 2.0 is going to go ahead. And I'd come back to John's point about the value of uh, uh, distributed energy, which includes solar, but also batteries. And again, refer to the integrated system plan, which I still regard as the most systematic and independent uh, view. Uh, that the, the value, the cheapest electricity that can be provided on a system-wide basis involves a brighter and bigger future for distributed energy, uh, and that can produce savings over the next uh, 15 to 20 years of $4 billion by actually using that household rooftop solar and behind the meter uh, well. So I think Snowy 2 will still go ahead. I think the real question is around uh, the the energy that will go to um, cart the water up the hill, how much of that's going to be, whether it's supplied by a new coal-fired generator or, or, or whatever. Um, again, announcements are scary. So I think we just have to be careful. As I said, I think we shouldn't speculate too much. Uh, I fully get what John says about uh, whisper campaigns and announcements. They're very important. Confidence is absolutely important. Um, uh, we have to see what the Labor Party says, uh, and we actually have to see what policies uh, are going to be announced. Uh, I want to point out that just isn't much time to get these policies developed. Most of these guys, this is the second or third ministry reshuffle uh, they've had. Uh, Angus Taylor, despite, uh, really didn't do that much yeah. work on it in the private sector. You know, what's he going to do in a, in a big hurry? Interesting to see. Hey, John, um, just continuing on the um, statement of opportunities, which was released, as uh, David said, last week, there's a couple of other interesting things in there. One I just um, haven't written about yet, but I'd like to point out on this podcast, was their forecast that minimum demand in every state within the next few years, or I think within the next decade, will actually occur during the day rather than at night time. Um, which is really just a complete change to what we've been used to. But John, I was just wondering what you made of their really interesting forecast, and this was sort of spurred off a CSIRO analysis. They've actually slashed their forecast for the uptake of um, battery storage by households. So I think they cut it by more than half. So their forecast for 2038 is like about 2.8 gigawatts, which is about one-fifth of what is predicted by the likes of Bloomberg New Energy Finance. Now, they justify this revision because they think that prices will come down. So <laughs> we've now got a ministry for lowering energy prices, so maybe that would be right. Um, and that the battery storage will remain largely uneconomic. What's your sense of where we're going with this? I think, that, are they being a bit too bleak? Yeah, look, uh, you know, not only is that forecast, um, um, you know, um, seem very low, it's less than what we really see in, in, the, in the pipeline right now for energy storage, you know, pumped hydro and batteries and others. But, but coming back to your question, um, what we're seeing AEMO saying concurrently is that the, the grid in many places of Australia is starting to reach solar saturation. So, um, you know, the ability to keep adding distributed solar on is going to be constrained just because of the network limitations. I would have thought that's going to be an enormous driver for energy storage technology. Uh, and, and I can see a future where incentive programs are actually geared to ensure that people make an investment to get an own private benefit from solar and storage. But by installing storage, they're also actually providing a community benefit. They're taking a load off during uh, the, the, the areas of peak demand, bringing overall network costs down. So I, I, I don't see that playing out, uh, and I think that, that there'll be technical and political reasons why I think that won't be the case. 
I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think myself that the problem is that the household batteries at the moment, just not the cost is not coming down, and yet the cost is coming down very strongly in the automotive batteries. I've made this point several times. So I actually think a more... Uh, a little bit of guidance in this area from the, <laughs> uh, from state governments, perhaps, which I will have to pick up the policy baton, um, uh, would be very helpful. Yes, well, we're still waiting for the South Australian government to make clear what they're intending to do. They, of course, came up with their scheme for $100 million, $2,500 handouts to households to subsidise the installation of batteries. But they're still toying with the Tesla idea, which was more of um, let's create a virtual power plant, let's focus on low-income houses, let's um, put these in sort of cost-free, but um, get the money back through the actual charges for the electricity, but the electricity will be a lot lower than what they're paying now. So we're not too sure where that's going to go to. Um, Hey, listen, one more topic, um, or maybe a couple more, but um, a bit of a transmission outage in um, between two transmission lines between New South Wales and Queensland on Saturday. David, um, I found this quite ironic because um, um, it was a, a, Scott Morrison's uh, first day in office. And if you do remember, um, apart from wielding a lump of coal around Parliament um, just over a year ago, he also made quite derogatory remarks about the Tesla big battery, described as about as useful as the big banana and the big prawn. Well, actually, it turns out with this outage, um, both Queensland and South Australia were islanded, and South Australia had quite big frequency variations um, because it is a small state. It was running at 50% wind and solar at the time. It had no issues, but it turns out that the Hornsdale big battery actually played quite a critical critical role in responding very quickly, first hold, in responding very quickly, first charging up to take uh, and then discharging to deal with the rise in frequency and uh, help keep the lights on. They're very interesting, but New South Wales had no such luck because they were relying only on the big banana and the big prawn and um, they had widespread out outages, about 800 megawatts and a lot of it in suburban Sydney. Well, not just suburban Sydney, uh, some uh, Tomago Aluminium saw two of its pot lines lose power for 30 minutes and 60 I minutes. I did not know that, really. And, and, and I think it's uh, every, people are entitled entirely to be very worried to see two big transmission lines go down. And uh, if it wasn't the fault of generation, it says something about the state of the transmission lines to me. And as you know, one of my favourite themes is that we need to keep investing a bit more in transmission uh, so that we can put on all these uh, distributed and less distributed resources around the system. Uh, and, and I think that's a very poor outcome. And a lot of us will be wanting to know and uh, what AEMO says about why this actually occurred. Um, uh, that, that's what I would say. But it is great to hear that the battery was uh, of some use in South Australia. Uh, that's that's fantastic news, but it wasn't much help uh, a time ago. Giles, from from my perspective, you know, where where where, where was the confected outrage that uh, the householders of New South Wales have been so badly let down by the New South Wales state government that uh, that the New South Wales government has pursued a policy that's uh, you know left reliability and dispatchability in in such a perilous state? I've got to say, you've just got to be completely cynical about this. Um, and I think it just it, it just sh shows up the federal government's approach for exactly what it is. 
Well, it's, it's more than that. I suspect we'll find that it's one way or another, this, this will be blamed on the renewable energy industry, even though <laughs> it probably had nothing to do with it. But that, that's not the first time something like that's happened in, in politics. Well, that's right, because there was actually five of the biggest coal generators in New South Wales were um, offline um, and in fact are offline. Um, that's actually caused the AEMO to declare an LOR2 advice for Monday, which means they're going to be short of power, um, potentially, so they have to get something else to fire up or they'll do um, intervene. But um, yes, I'm sure the... LOR2, I think, uh, Giles, is loss of reserve. Lack of reserve, uh, actually. Lack second. of reserve. Lack of reserve. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, David. Um, I'm going to just take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, which is What Watches and Solaray. We do appreciate your support, particularly particularly in these trying times as we deal with yet another administration. Guys, um, what are we looking forward to in the next week? And you've you got anything else to sort of um, to, to to point out, David? Well, I just wanted to point out a couple of other bits and pieces about that uh, statement of opportunities. It's interesting to me the difference in approach that's been taken. The statement of opportunities is AEMO's. Uh, look at the electricity market and it's primarily concerned with reliability uh, because their, their main mandate is to keep the lights on and I've been looking at this statement of opportunities since about 2006 and it's uh, started out as a document which had stupid forecasts in it uh, to one which has become a very complex and interesting document. This year for the first time they broke out explicitly the amount of electricity that is devoted to coal mining in Australia which is uh, about four terawatt hours out of, out of um, out of 180, and uh, so about two, two or three percent. And they also broke out the six terawatt hours uh, that goes into the coal seam gas industry, which has long been regarded as a paradox because we use coal-fired coal fired electricity to make gas, which we ship to China, so they can replace coal to some extent in that country. And if you can tell me how that's an efficient use of anyone's resources, uh, I'll be, you're probably smarter than even Angus Taylor. Uh, uh, but but the, the question is why break out such a small share? And we also see in those numbers, or I broke them out separately, that aluminium, for instance, is still about 10% of the overall mix. And so we're still faced with this, uh, what I regard, major challenge of getting more supply into the market in a steady fashion. Uh, that is really what the job that policy should be focused on. If Angus Taylor is going to do a good job as as uh, uh, Minister for Lower Prices, let's just call him that, uh, um, then is the, the, he needs to get more supply, lots more supply into the market. Renewable supply, uh, dispatchable renewables is said by AEMO to be the, the best way of doing it. Uh, and I hope he listens to that advice. Uh, let's hope so too. Uh, John, final thoughts? Yeah, from me, Giles, it's actually uh, not so much about the week coming up or, or going forward, but perhaps to share with your listeners a bit of an anecdote from you know some of the work we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. About two weeks ago, we took energy experts, um, uh, big uh, renewable energy developers, uh, and consultants into federal parliament, uh, and and the degree to which the groupthink had really captured, particularly the press gallery, uh, where everybody just had the view we're sick and tired of it. We you know um, uh, you know let's just get something locked in. That's what's going to happen in the coalition party room. There will be a controlled detonation. Uh, it'll let off some spurt steam and that's what's going to happen and, and I, I remember we have an absolutely fantastic government relations manager in the form of Wayne Smith and Wayne made the comment, I won't say to which, uh, which news outlet, but there were four or five uh, journalists, senior journalists, long-term journalists in a huddle uh, getting a briefing from us, uh, made the point that we don't know who the Prime Minister is going to be next week, referring to last week. 
uh, and there, there was an audible guffaw. You know, people just just didn't even consider that as a, within the realms of possibility. So um, uh, my, my final point, I suppose, is to say that emissions and energy remain kryptonite for the coalition party room. Uh, the way that Morrison has uh, uh, um, signalled they're going to deal with this issue does not deal with the issue. And until that happens, then unfortunately uh, we're going to have uh, you know, these climate wars because everybody else agrees. Uh, but, but while the conservative side of politics doesn't agree, doesn't have a positive vision for jobs, investment, for lower energy prices, then I think uh, this history is uh, bound to repeat. I think you're absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that because I think you've done some good work, John, on the on the uh, and your organisation on on the public approach. But if you look at the Lowy Institute thing, it shows about seventy percent support for taking stronger action and about even even bigger number for using more renewable energy. And we've already seen if you take same sex marriage as uh, as an indication of how out of touch the government is with with the popular opinion that they are way out of touch. And so what we have, as we've, um, we all know, but I have to repeat it, is a government that is essentially a small number of older white males resisting what the vast majority of Australia wants. And how long, I mean, I hate talking about politics. I'd much rather be talking about new investment, but uh, you've got to talk about it today. It's not good That's enough. That's okay. Look, thank you very much, guys. And I love that um, um, that, that, that um, um, expression, this sort of controlled de detonation, John. I think that was wonderful. Unfortunately, I don't think, know how controlled it was. I think it was probably more of an uncontrolled one, but let's see how that goes out. Look, thank you both very much for joining us. Um, thanks to people for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. We'll be back again next week, one further week into the Morrison um, presidency or prime ministership. We'll see how we're fitting there. Bye-bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarRay Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.